You are listening to episode 30 of the Lewis and Kyle Show with William Brown. And they say, well, you know, I mean, well, there's really bad odds in your favor if you're trying to become the next Jeff Bezos. You know what I say to them? Jeff Bezos had those same odds. Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where Lewis and I share tools for success in entrepreneurship, investing, self-education, and fitness through interviews with inspiring mentors. This episode was with William Brown. You and I both listened to him on the Bigger Pockets podcast. We're super inspired by his story, how he sold hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of real estate and wholesaling when he was only 18, 19 years old. And we wanted to bring him on to learn how he did that, but more importantly, learn about what he's doing now that he has all the money from doing that. He is well beyond his years in terms of the way he thinks about the world, what he's accomplished, and just in general, the stuff that's on his mind. It was a really intense conversation. I'm still a little shook from it, even though I'm recording this about a month later. And I think you are going to really enjoy it. There's wisdom and ideas scattered at the beginning, middle and end. There are parts I had to re-listen to myself. So get ready. It's, it's a bit of a ride and I hope you'll enjoy it. Hey, Will, we're super excited to have you. We have both listened to you on the Bigger Pockets podcast and we're super hyped and said, you know what? We'll see if we can talk to him because I bet he's got a lot to share. So thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah. So first question for you from the outside and from listening to that podcast, it really sounds like you're crushing it and all the stuff that you're doing, but I know that wasn't always the case for you. What beliefs, habits, or actions shifted your path from being an aspiring entrepreneur to being a thriving entrepreneur? And was this a specific moment you could point to or an accumulation? Totally. Yeah. So I could probably speak for three hours uh, just on that question. <laughs> it makes my job easy enough. And it's different parts. So you guys don't need to say anything else. Yeah. Really what it comes down to, and you know, you have to kind of start with the cliche things and sort of that's how they bubble to the surface. But when then you go deep and you look at the circumstances in someone's life that you might study in terms of how do they do the things that they did, it becomes very clear that they were very intentional and that their mindset had everything to do with it. So in terms of like the pivoting life moment, I've definitely had a few of those that have got me on the trajectory that I'm on now. But in terms of like a general, like if I were to distill it all down, right? It's the idea that, you know, a lot of people in our generation feel like that we're entitled to something without earning it. I think that's probably the most deadly thought pattern you could have as an entrepreneur. The, like the idea that, someone should give me something or they should pay me for this or are they they're wrong because they didn't buy my blank 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 is one of those things that you really have to give up very early on if you want to even make a single dollar so what's really cool is through entrepreneurship like a level of humility is gained where you understand like if you're talking to someone and you're trying to sell them something or you're trying to buy one of their things like I was in real estate and I bought, you know, I bought houses from people. I couldn't come in with my needs, wants, and desires. It doesn't matter to them. I had to completely focus on them. And when you basically kind of get that, that it's completely on them and that really you're just there to, first of all, identify if they have a problem to solve and then come in and see, okay, is my solution a fit or not? It becomes very binary and it's very... It's like it was my escape latch out of the trap of not wanting to get rejected. Like every single person that goes into business or sales, you hit like a hundred no's. But if you're afraid of each next no, it's going to make you like steer away emotionally from taking the actions that you need to, to build the skill set to then be able to actually solve the problem and get the yes. So did that, I think that answered the first part of the question, at least in one component, right? 
I, I think so. And I think the part about focusing on other people's evident, I mean, right before we started recording, you showed us that you're resting your microphone on how to win friends and influence people. And if I had to encapsulate that whole book in one sentence, it would be shifting that perspective from not what makes me happy, what interests me to how do I interest other people? How do I do things, frame it to be helping them? And if that's the key, I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated. I like how like the market is kind of the, the determining factor here because the market doesn't care about your feelings or like what you think people should pay for your product or, or how you perceive the value that you're providing. It's all about the, the actual value from that end consumer that they're getting from your services. You know, it, it, that entitlement is deadly, but it's not, it's almost impossible for your entitlement to matter when you're like being an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's, it's really a chain that, that when you learn, you can let it go. You're like, Oh, why don't I do this sooner? You know, no matter how soon you start. So about me, I was always the, you know, the lemonade stand entrepreneur. I was always interested in making a, a quick buck, not so I could spend the buck. I hated spending money, but I loved making it because that whole like exchange was just always interesting to me. Whether it was, you know, Pokemon cards in elementary school or, you know, they had like the silly bands, which were the rubber, like the, the rubber. Oh yeah. I saw bracelets. some silly bands back in the day. I dealt you with know, bands. the erasers, like that stuff, that stuff just lit me up. And then I was like, always thinking, how do I do more of that. And so, you know, when you're a kid, they tell you, do the things that are, you know, creative and interesting to you. But then they stick you in the education system where they say, well, you have to make sure that you can do those things, but it's a side and you have your primary focus on, you know, the stuff that's going to allow you to get a job. And I realized that there's, I just did some like Googling when I was younger, probably when I was like 11 or 12 and I had access to our home PC. It's like how many people in America are happy with their jobs? And the stats, something like 75% of people don't just dislike, they hate their jobs. It's like, oh, that's not good. Okay. But then they talked about go to college. All right. Well, 70% of people don't use the, like their degree in the profession that they're in. <laughs> so I had this contradictory information in my mind, very young, which I attribute to asking questions from like sixth grade and beyond. Like when I was in calculus and such, like, why do I need to know this? I, I was like either two things. Is it, can I just do this with a calculator? Won't there be online calculators or can I just hire people to do this? And I could never get a great answer because everyone was on the track of you are going to be the one to go on and do that work. I don't think America's public education system supports entrepreneurship in the sense of the ways of thinking and modeling the world that are necessary to actually be an entrepreneur. They focus on the skills or the specific tactics that you might need to have, but it's very little to do with the mindset. They think that entrepreneurship is just like another job when it's, it's completely different species. There are rules that you must intentionally break and create new. And that's how change is comes across to the world through your products, societal agreements, right? People agree before Uber that the best way to get it, you know, to get around was via taxi and the taxi drivers were in agreement with the city that you need to pay a hundred thousand dollars for a taxi medallion okay, not everyone can do that. That's a huge barrier to entry in NYC. So Uber comes along and you give people the ability to get a side hustle or make money and you give people better convenience. And that is why these companies work because they've taken a new paradigm. Everything that I look at, it's always, you can't solve the same problem. You can't create a solution while you're looking at the thing from the same perspective. It's always, I'm always, how do we shift our viewpoint on this? Just like, 
0.1 degrees to see this maybe a little bit differently than everyone else does. I actually want to unpack that. Yeah, go for it. How do you practically do that? Like shift your mindset to viewing things from a different plane? It first starts, I was, on, I was having a conversation with my, my data scientist today. I'll talk, talk about what we're doing. And I was like, okay, well, what if we added this before we put this data into this model? No, no, that's not possible. Okay, well, but what, what if it was possible? And that's exactly where it lies in, is the what ifs of the world. Taking every, like the status quo as your baseline, and then just saying, what if we tried something else? What if we had changed one little way of doing this, right? What if we swapped out a combustion engine for an electric drivetrain and a battery in a car? Like, like what could that mean? Okay, what if we also incorporated software into it? that then could get updates and could connect to people's phones. Okay, now let's also incorporate artificial intelligence into that, which is just using patterns of data to learn and predict the next move. Okay, now suddenly you've gone from having, uh, you know, rusty old combustion engines to streamlined electric vehicles driving themselves down the highway. But that did not happen in one move. That happened with incremental change and people asking what's possible. So do you have a tool? I think, oh, go ahead, Kyle. I think that relies on the, the value of the question, you know, mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the, the quality of your questions really determine the quality of your answers. So how do you train yourself or how have you trained yourself to ask better questions? Yeah, one of my favorite books is The Road Less Stupid by Joseph Cunningham. And not Never many heard people of have that heard one. of it. No, not many people have. It's like really in-depth book and it focuses on just the questions and at the end of every chapter he has like some questions they ask and says go into thinking time and i'll read some some questions i've got the wall of post-it notes next to me so one question right what needs to be finished most people are always thinking what are the things that you know i can start what should i do next sometimes just asking a question of what are the things that i've already started that need to be finished again these apply in any scenario my biggest one is like is that the problem or a symptom of the problem? Because no matter how many solutions or cures you build to the symptom, somehow there's always going to be another symptom that arises until you actually solve the problem. Oh, another great one. What could go wrong? Everyone always wants to talk about how things are going to go right and how you're just going to hit every single, every single mark consecutively and it's everything's going to always win. And I've had some, you know, some deals in real estate where I made 50 grand. I've had a deal in real estate where I lost 40 grand. Why? Because I was only focused on what could go right. And I never even once asked what could go wrong. It wasn't even a possibility to me. What don't I see? Risks don't cease to exist just because you ignore them. Same thing with facts. (laughs) things like that sort of set the mentality. But again, I don't believe it's like, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. And then a magical question comes out of it that solves all the problems. I think it's, you train your mind in such a way that you model the world that you're always asking questions of these calibers so that the only solutions and answers you come up with are good. I don't think it's magic. I really that, don't. I think that's what I was going to say is that you're almost using all these questions as mental models for yourself, as, as frameworks for the way that you view the world and all the problems that you face on a daily basis. It's like, it's like the first principles thing with Elon Musk. You know, it's like you're, you're breaking these things down into mm-hmm. things that you can understand in a way that you can understand so that you can view everything from a broken down perspective like that. I, I really, really like that. And I look forward to looking up the road less stupid. Yeah, I want to... Oh, 
That's great. Yeah, I want to add on to that. Just yesterday, so Tim Ferriss, who I'm sure most of us are familiar with, released like two years ago this book, this little ebook called 17 Questions That Changed My Life. Mm. It's like the way he, like the chronology of his life is broken down to when he had asked himself these life-changing questions and changed the course of his life based off of them. Stuff like, what would I do if I could only work two hours per week? Or what if I just spent all the money I wanted to on the things I wanted? Or like, what are, and then basic questions, 80, 20. And, you know, like you said, on the bigger pockets podcast, there's another 80, 20 within 80, 20, but actually forcing yourself to take time at the end of the chapter and start thinking about those things for yourself. Uh, that's how you actually change your results. Do you have a specific question that you asked yourself that kind of reflects an inflection point from kind of when things start accelerating for you? Yeah. So I'd say there was two, two inflection points. The first one when I was halfway through my first year of college at the College of William & Mary, my first and last year. And I had been, you know, listening to real estate investing podcasts and reading books. And I was super interested in that. But also I had like four other startups going because I, you know, I believe you're just working hard. Again, I didn't have all these different tools yet. So it was a book that I, I can't remember exactly who, who told me to read it. I think I actually got a recommendation of it from the po- uh, Bigger Pockets podcast. Someone mentioned it was The One Thing by Gary Keller. You guys familiar? Yes. Yeah. I actually ordered a copy to school to read when I get there. Oh, so it's so on the good. way. Yeah. I think I've read it like five times so far. I can <laughs> tell you every single, not even like chapter, not even page, but paragraph hit me like a ton of bricks. And it gave me, think of it like the proof, something that I could ground into that it's actually okay. And it's actually the path to extraordinary results to just focus on one thing. And that's when I dropped every one of my commitments, everything. and just went to the uh, library and just started making cold calls for hours every day, learning and perfecting my craft. The question they said that last was, it's called the focusing question. The format of it goes like this. What's the one thing I can do to blank, insert your goal here, such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. And this is great because I literally had this. I probably have a picture of it somewhere. My roommate thought I was crazy in, in my dorm room. It's like, I got a whiteboard. I put it up and I wrote this. What's the one thing I can do to make $100,000 by the end of the year? This was 2018, such that by doing it, everything else will be easier and necessary. And just because I put up the question, first of all, I had never even make, made more than like $2,000 at anything over a substantial period of time. So I asked that question. And then I started to evaluate again, talk about like the point one degree shift, like how far can this thing scale? Like I had a business that would pick up trash from people's dorm rooms and like $2 a bag and I was hiring people out because that can only scale to 180,000 gross a year. And I net like 15,000 on that. And again, I didn't ask myself what could go wrong. I only looked at if I got this and this and this and this, there was like 95% school involvement. You know, I got, you know, whatever subsidizing by, by the school, all those things broke all that down, basically realized that real estate was the vehicle that I could use. So finished school, March, 2018, went down to Norfolk, Virginia, slept on an air mattress for a couple months while I was building a real estate wholesaling business, which is essentially just finding a property at a discount from someone who's trying to get rid of their property, whether they had a tenant trash it or they inherited it and they just don't want to deal with the hassle. They're willing to trade a slice of their equity for the convenience you offer and assigning that contract to a flipper who's going to actually buy it, put their money up and be able to bring in the tools and resources to renovate and then sell it. And so I did that and I scaled that and I hired a couple of people under me as I was growing an assistant and, uh, and another acquisition manager and total all in all. Now 
from uh, about July 2018 to April of 2020, we did about 95 deals and over 900,000 in revenue, which was pretty cool. And that allowed me to buy about five properties myself, cash flowing rental properties that I still own, which have opened up other opportunities for me, as well as fund what we're doing now, which cue in the second paradigm shifting inflection point, which was March of 2019, last year at the end of a business mastermind in Cabo San Lucas in a hot tub, born out of a conversation that lasted about 12 hours from about 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. the next morning, realizing, here's it is, here's the question. We asked ourselves, and we just continue to ask ourselves, what could we do with our lives that would be far more noble than elevating the consciousness of humanity? Pretty big. Wow. We, could, we, couldn't <laughs> think, we couldn't think of a bigger question. I implore you to think of a bigger, more noble, more grander question. So I'm a big believer in shooting high, right? Just like I did with 100,000, forgot to mention. What do you think I, when I was tallying up my books for the end of 2019, even though I only made my first dollar towards the end of July, what do you think was the total amount we made in 2019? I'm going to say north of 100K. Yeah, I was going to say over 100,000. <laughs> 220,000. We more than doubled it, which to me was so easy like it was easy to believe in december because so, we wait, did it just for the listeners within yeah. 365 days of you writing that question on a whiteboard in a dorm at william and mary you had turned your your life from not having made two thousand dollars in anything to making 220 grand yeah i think it was what do you think we made the next year Oh, I can, I'm going to be able to subtract. Yeah. Subtraction here. <laughs> yeah. You've given us enough, uh, given us enough pieces. I'm going to plug real quick for the listeners. Cause we talked beforehand. Will's told that story on a number of other podcasts of what he did in that one year period. Uh, the bigger podcast podcast that we've made reference to three, four, five, six times. Now he tells the story in great detail on that podcast. So if you kind of want some context as to zero to hundred K we're kind of going to let you listen to that because He's told that story and we want to ask him some questions about the stuff he's doing now. But, but if you're going to do it, you're going to have to make a lot of paper cranes and you're going to have to <laughs> knock on a hundred doors. Yeah, still stands true. And I, I love that because when I talk to people, it's like, you know, they ask me questions like, did you listen to the podcast? Then they're like, no, I'm like, okay, now, no, listen to it. Okay. They're like, I need to go knock on a hundred doors. And still my predictions were true. About one out of 10 people who said they're going to do it. I follow up and they, they actually do it. One out of 10. I'm surprised that you didn't pose that to Kyle and I. I really thought you were going to and be like, I'll do it after you go knock on 100 doors. But I guess we didn't say we want to learn real estate from you. We said we want to do a podcast. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. For sure. So with that, back to that question there in the hot tub, right? Back to the hot tub. Yeah, okay. it's, really, it's really about that question. And I still live every day. Not that I ask myself that every day now, but that was the question that set the trajectory. Who asked so, it? You or the other guy? Me. Okay. About 100 times. That day. We just kept coming back to it until we realized, right? Here, here's the thought process that we went to. This, this might go pretty deep. We'll see. Love it. Poverty. Would you consider it a problem in, in the definition of a problem? I'm, I'm going to go with yes. Okay. An earthquake. Would you consider an earthquake a problem? Yes. yes. <laughs> Does the earth have a problem if it has an earthquake? Yes. It does? You think so? Does the earth have a problem if, a, if, if an earthquake is a problem and an earthquake happens on earth? Does the earth care? The earth, does the earth care? No, yeah. not, on a, not on a long-term scale. It's probably good for the earth. Yeah, so, so interesting. So then what makes it a problem? 
the, it's all about shaping the question, you know, the outcomes on people and their lives. We're, we're, we're operating from the assumption of humanity, I guess. Exactly. Yes. yes. Human beings, as far as we know, are the only living species capable of creating a thing we call a problem. Basically, when we realize that problems are created in the mind, we realize it's impossible to solve all problems. And that even if we were to solve a problem like poverty or climate change or literally name any problem, let me ask you a question. Are our lives more or less complex than you, do you think they were 100 years ago? More. More. We have to, we have to not eat vegetable oil. That wasn't, even an, that wasn't even a choice we had to consider back in the day. Yeah, it's a problem. And at the end of the day, for the majority of humanity's existence, what was our one problem that we had? Survival. Which was food, right? Mm-hmm. So we spent all our time hunting food. And then guess what happened? We learned that you can plant stuff underneath the dirt and it will grow and you can multiply it. That took care of a portion of the problem, which freed up some mental energy and effort. We were able to build houses, protect ourselves you know, from rain. Along those same lines, then what happened? So now we're an agricultural society and suddenly society forms. There's civilization. We create currency. You know, If you go back through the archaeological records, this is how it all happened. Why? My theory is because we weren't spending all our time hunting and gathering. We had time freed up. Now you get to the industrial revolution, right? And now you fast track and get to the information age and where we are today. And like, what's so incredible is that you're able to do such higher level things than hunt and forage for food. And because they're so higher level, they're orders of magnitude greater. You have to spend very little time doing them to get enough money to live, survive, right? Mm -hmm. So you have all this other space. And this is where I believe human creativity fills that space and where innovation and art and things are created. Bright ideas where we can make things more efficient. Where we tied all this in, this was again on the entire, like the entirety of the conversation, was that if we built a solution to a problem, that solution expires when a new problem is formed. There's no direct correlation between, say, we build a backhoe, right, to you know harvest crops or if we need to cut down trees. If you can't really do the same thing. You need to build a new solution for every new opportunity that comes up. So we're like, okay, again, the question is, what can we do that'd be far more noble than elevating the consciousness of humanity? Well, if we just solve a solution or build a solution to solve a problem that's eventually gonna expire, that doesn't sound more noble. So we're like, okay, what else can we do? All right, well, what if it wasn't about actually solving the problem, but it was about making each and every problem easier to solve? How would that be done? Human beings, through creativity and innovation, in that space that gets freed up via the machines that we build, are able to create innovative solutions, usually by trial and error. That's pretty much how science is done. Mm -hmm. And now with the information age, someone in, let's just say, Egypt is able to learn about all the failed trials, or at least the most cutting edge of a field, say a scientist, of what's going on in America. And they can just piggyback off that information and then take and carry mm-hmm. the ball forward from there. However, it requires that scientists in Egypt asking the right question and being able to leverage this thing called the internet to find the right answer and having to do a lot of time and spend a lot of time researching articles. What if there was a way the internet connects you to information via nodes yes. and stores information? 
but it doesn't process information. The internet is not intelligent. It's a library. Everything that gets done is because mm -hmm. we either check out a book and edit it or we publish a book and put it back in. Yeah. Now those books could be movies, content, podcasts, whatever. You guys follow me so far? Yes. Yeah. Do you think the creation of the internet is an elevation of human consciousness? I think so. In the okay. degree that we're able to create a universal library for it. Mm -hmm. Keep what going. Is, I'm sorry. But, no worries. Yeah. What we're looking to build and what we realize would be more noble than elevating human consciousness or maybe, maybe it's on par. Maybe it's a little bit below. It's totally subjective, but something that is as high as we could go is if the internet's a library and you can literally learn anything. You can learn how to, yeah. you know, build a relationship, strengthen your marriage, lose weight. You can learn how to do anything you want, make more money, <laughs> make art, whatever, literally anything. Yes. What if we were to build a librarian for that library? Okay. Such that you went and you were able to, you don't even have to ask a perfectly worded question. Say, hey, I'm kind of looking, I've got these circumstances in my life. I'm just not happy. I'm trying to look, figure out a way to be happy. Can you what tell me why Google isn't the librarian? I was going to say that. Google is, think of it as a librarian. Maybe, maybe that's the better analogy is they just get the book for you, but they only get the specific book that you ask. Mm -hmm. They don't think, right? If you say, how do I lose weight? It's going to pull up a couple articles and the most popular people that are paying to get seen first and optimize for that, right? That's of true. All the different training. What I'm talking about is something that's more personalized so that librarian be able to ask a couple follow-up questions. Okay, mm -hmm. well, what have you tried before? Okay, well, what are your goals? Okay, well, what equipment do you have? Things like that to curate a personalized solution for you that's unique to you because it wasn't just written for someone else for the masses, which is how content is written. But, and this is 100% AI and nothing else, able to take all that content and custom tailor it towards exactly what you're looking for. But it's not as Google search. If you want to lose weight, it's not just about the information. If I like, let's say I'm trying to, you know, add more muscle mass, right? The gyms mm -hmm. are closed. My, my workout, you know, that with the pandemic, my workouts are, have all been screwed up. I'm trying to do at home workouts. It's not right, working out right there well. with you, right there with you. What if I just Google, how do I, you know, put on more muscle mass? You know, my, my muscles aren't going to grow. It, it requires me to take daily consistent action and discipline. It's all about the execution. First starts with knowing what to do, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second part is doing it. Google's not going to help you do it. No. Google might help you get a glimpse of what you need to do, but how do you know that that workout is best for your body type? But then a diet's a huge part of it too. So how do you know what diet is best for you? What we are talking about building, what we realize would be more noble or just as noble as elevating the consciousness of humanity is by literally taking out the part of to the desire to do anything that has to come from figuring it out and trial and error, slimming that down. How much time could be saved in addition to already all the time, but not just hours, you know, sat in a chair, like mental energy and thought and struggle. This is not easy stuff to do. To change the patterns in your brain or to adopt a new habit is one of the hardest things to do in the entire world. It's one of the hardest things to do because our brain adopted those patterns for survival and to stay as comfortable as possible. We have just now so quickly transitioned into a society where comfort is not necessarily our aim. We have 
evolved to look for things like fulfillment. Fulfillment is what we're chasing, not just being able to put food in our bodies. And that has happened in a very short period of time. And we still have the same programming as we have had for thousands of years. What so, you're kind of saying is, you know, you take Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but modern society kind of starts ever and out at like a baseline seven out of 10. That's a great way to put it. And this isn't just in America. This is everywhere. You have so mm-hmm. many developing countries that yeah, are of course, that's a generalization for sure. But yeah, so in aggregate. Yeah. Let's say I really want to learn how to read a hundred percent faster. Your product is going to, or, or I don't know, I don't know if we've got not your product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. The, the idea that you're talking about would deliver to me a personalized solution based on the information that I've given it over some period of time that it believes I would have the lowest amount of friction to implementing it into my everyday life. Can I make a comment here? No. So, <laughs> uh, before, real quick. So I feel like, are you, are you saying that, you know, just with the vastness of the internet in terms of content covered, variety in which it's covered, depth in which it's covered, through like proper trial and error type analysis and or simulated analysis of this information, you can form well-formed contextually specific answers to most questions. Correct. And is that the, okay? Let me ask. Yep. Yeah, so back to your questions. You want, you have a desire to read books faster, right? Kyle, do you have, do you know how to play the piano? No. Do you want to know how to play the piano? I would like to, I don't want to. Okay. So that comes below reading faster for sure okay great so if i were to give you a personalized plan for how to play the piano and how to read faster which one are you going to be inclined to be more successful at read faster okay but what if i was also able to follow up with you every single day and consistently because you want to do that for a reason right like what's the reason you want to do that be able to well actually the reason is because i watched a video with the wait but why guy the guy who he, he puts like every dot um, of your life on, on one piece of paper and you can visualize your life in weeks. I just and, bought that poster, Kyle. I, I was telling you about that. Whatever. And he makes a point to show like the difference 30 minutes a day in, in reading uh, creates in terms of amount of books read by the end of your life. It, it ends up being like, you know, the average is one book a year and 30 minutes a day produces like I don't know, 52 books or 50 books a year. And if I could double that, double my reading speed, that's a hundred books a year. And if I'm reading a hundred books a year, I'm pretty, pretty smart. You know, then what's possible? Like what, 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 why, why do you want to be smart? Good question. To be able to engage with the world at the highest level possible, be able to talk to people and have informed opinions that are reasoned. And I don't know what else. Make money, I guess, is one answer to be able to be secure in my life, to be able to make the people around me secure in their lives, be able to yeah. allow. Yeah. Okay. So those are the things that are important to you. So where I think a lot of like what I was able to learn is I'm actually like an inherently like lazy person. I don't just want to do things to do them. I will spend, if you give me 10 hours to do something, I will spend the first nine either probably procrastinating or thinking about the best way to do it. And then spend the last 15 minutes actually having figured out the best way to do it. And then whatever, like the last 15 minutes of the last hour doing it. Why? Because if I just simply Google how to do something and then I do it, 
what have I contributed to the world? I have an incredible, like, you know, we, it's us, or at least we exist inside the story we tell ourselves of who we are. We have this incredible machine between our brains. And if I just do things the way other people do them, what's my contribution at the end of the day? I'm just doing more stuff, but no one, but if I can, I'm a big believer in procrastination, like intentional procrastination. That makes sense. Because if you have a positive constraint, positive constraint, as like a, something that limits you to enhance your creativity. It's like purposely assign it, making something harder. Well, this is like what you said about growth out of scarcity. You know what I mean? So when you're limited to 10 minutes, you're forced to come up with the most clever possible way to do it. And then if it's usually the things we do are not just one off done, right? We don't just do things one time for our life. We might, and then be done with them. But if I can find a more clever way to do it, or if at least I can spend those eight hours thinking of a more clever way to do it, guess what? I can pass that more clever way on to doing it and I can Mm -hmm. increase other people's productivity 10x doing the same thing. I think there's an added benefit you need to mention there to that approach to learning and doing is that, you know, I recently finished rereading the book Ultra Learning by Scott Young and he talks all about Richard Feynman, uh, who's one of like the most famous physicists of all time. And pretty much, you know, when he was going through school, he chose to basically prove every formula to himself instead of just learning it to basically go through the process of discovering the things that, you know, he was supposed to be taught in school because that's how he actually proved himself that he knew it. If he knew it well enough to have literally proved it from the assumptions governing it at the time before it was discovered, that's real knowledge creation, not just replication. So I think that's that's the the first principles thing. Exactly. It's like being the difference between being a cook and following a recipe and being a chef and just making something from you're really on that Tim Irvin. Yeah. Yeah, I'm listening to tribe mentors. You've got me Lewis. Yeah, they are like, these are the tools that everyone looks at it, you know, and they say, well, you know, I mean, well, there's really bad odds in your favor. If you're trying to become the next Jeff Bezos, you know what I say to them? Jeff Bezos had those same odds. And that it's that this continuous acquiring of think of it's like, if, you know, all these different people that have been mentioned, if they all just make one contribution into your life, or if they made one significant contribution or way of thinking about uh, framing a, or modeling something, and you can combine those, you can essentially take the best parts, the most distilled down pieces of their life, and you can plug those together. And now that's where you're standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. And then you can create some for the following generations. And then this is how we navigate and this is how we grow in a world. And I think now, you know, since the internet, why? Because of this connectivity to information and our ability to do this here in real time. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like the, the law of familiarity kicks in so quickly. Explain what this that is. is. This is basically saying you guys and anyone listening to this, it's a podcast. What would this be to someone a hundred years ago? Well, I mean, and the fact that like we listened to you on a podcast, reached out to you on Instagram and now we're talking to you while all three of us are in three different states in three different time zones. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it is so far from believable for my great, great grandfather to like, if he was standing here looking at what we were doing right now, he would, he wouldn't believe that we were human beings. So he would probably think, Oh, I mean, they must have some wires or some advanced technology and image capture. No, no, no. Invisible <laughs> waves, invisible waves being bounced to 
things orbiting the earth and being bounced back down again to have real time detection of movement within the millisecond. And it only gets better every year. One of my favorite questions that I always like to go to when we have like a dinner or just something interesting is what's something that continually fascinates you anytime you think about it. And that's my default answer is like satellites, <laughs> like electricity, like, I don't know, invisible communication, like <laughs> things that make no intuitive sense whatsoever until you study them. And even then there's still some unexplained parts. Yeah, uh, totally. If I took that question upon myself, what's the one thing that just continues to fascinate me? Humans. <laughs> The way that we yeah. not only make decisions, right or wrong is a story, you know, given the circumstances, but then we justify those decisions. Anything is justifiable. Would you say murder is justifiable? I'm gonna go with yes. I mean, yes. from a religious perspective, there's pieces in, you know, religious texts that explain circumstances in which, you know, how to handle specific murders. You know what I mean? It's like- You can go, like, you can turn that on itself and be like, I could give a situation to Lewis in which he would say, yes, I would murder that person. Exactly. It's circumstantial. Now here's one. Can blowing up the planet, literally fragmenting us into to millions of like good size earthly chunks because we detonated a 5,000 megaton nuke at the core and it just ripped stuff apart. Is that justifiable? You know, I had a dream about that the other day. Oh, I so I'm going to say, I'm going to go with Yes. Because we had compelling scientific evidence verifying the simulation hypothesis. And our conclusion was that the way out of it was like global mass uh, simultaneous suicide. So wow. I'm going to go with yes. Job, Lewis. You know, there's, so, no, there's no way I could have come up with that on the fly like that if that wasn't a real dream I had and thought through. Yeah. So <laughs> what's, what's interesting there, and I like to use absurd examples, right, and then bring them back to Earth, is it's just right now the Earth is our only home and we can only think of this as our species. It, we can't think of circumstances in which that would be morally justifiable, right? Okay, here's one. Let's say we settle Mars and in 200 years, now aliens come and attack Earth and they're saying they're building their population to come attack us at Mars. Easy. That was like 10 seconds and it, it morally justifiable. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing about morals, right? I think morality is rooted in survival as well. Why is it bad to kill a person? That's a tough question. Like why? Yeah. Well, I think you're going to say... Well, again, it depends on... It's circumstantial. In first history, of all. if you tried to kill somebody, you might get killed. And also, if you... I'm just going to disagree with the premise of the question that it's bad to kill someone because you have to hear the whole story. Totally. Okay. So, unjustifiable. No circumstances. You just walk up and kill someone. Is that bad? I don't think that circumstance exists. There's no such thing as no circumstances. Sorry, okay. did I cut out in the middle of that? Yeah, but you're good. We, we kept going. Well, yeah, basically, okay. here's, here's the idea, right? Morality, just something to try on. This, none of this is true. It's all made up, just like everything. Yep. It's rooted in survival because is giving someone $20,000 for no circumstantial reason, literally none. Maybe it makes you feel good. Is that immoral? I'm going to say it's mm -hmm. not. No. Is building houses, you know, for the homeless. What we're able to do here, like we, we think we're, you know, we're evolved, but essentially we're still just human beings at the end of the day and have just added a lot of layers of complexity to our mm -hmm. own means of survival. So I have think you read Nassim Taleb? What book? Nassim Taleb. The He's author. an author. Anti-fragile. No. Nope. Fooled by randomness. Skin in the game. Doesn't even ring a bell, huh? The Black Swan. That's, it's interesting. I don't do a ton of reading. I did a ton. I soaked up a ton of podcasts and books until I got on my groove 
And then once I got on my groove, I consume everything that's along my groove, but I have no interest in becoming a generalist. I'm building an AI to do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to build, I want to make my focus building the thing. And I'm a big believer that if you have a lot of general knowledge that can't be applied, that takes up space in your mind and your subconscious that might steer you away from being able to ask those incredible questions about the thing that you're doing because it's spread thin. Just a theory. Yeah. I think I that's an interesting perspective. I think we've built up, at least personally, a ton of suspense <laughs> about where where you're going with this. Let's let's start diving into uh, what you're doing. So we've kind of painted a picture here of humanity being a series of layers of abstraction. You know, it's we develop agriculture to abstract away the need to forage for food. We've abstracted mm-hmm. organized labor and industrialization to abstract the need to till a farm to produce your food. And then we've created remote computer work to abstract away the need to commute and work for, let's say, more than six hours of the day to make a wage to keep a home to blah, 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 blah. And the internet yeah. to abstract the need to remember everything because it's all infinitely indexed. So where are we now and what are you doing about it? Yeah, so where are we now? I don't want to solve a problem that those things either are solving or they're going to. If it's just a matter of things scaling, though, that's happening quicker than ever. Or I'm not going to build the next video chat platform. I'm not going to build the next, you know, internet connectivity. There's a lot of people with a lot more money doing that. You're not trying to build VR. Yeah, it, it, there's uh, what I want to do, and what I realized when I was listening to those real estate podcasts is like, how do I get on the court and play the game? There was a lot of people that had a lot more money, network, and connections, and like track record than I did. So how was me? like a 17 year old at the time when I first started listening to this podcast, how could I possibly go about breaking into this? Now I had no inside connections. I had no, you know, money, literally none. And I was like, how do I go about this? Well, let me don't just, let me know. I don't want to take the approach of mentoring under someone for five years. And then 20 years later running my own gig. Like I want to do that now. I got stuff I want to do. So again, I spent years just educating myself. That's what a lot of people ask. They're like, hey, you know, they'll DM me on Instagram. I just getting started in real estate. Want to know what tips you have for me? I'm like, man, I spent thousands of hours educating myself and even more thousands of hours like doing it. What could you possibly think I could tell you that would make a difference? Well, I don't know. Try. Go knock a hundred doors. That's why that's my default response. So what we're doing now is basically saying, where are is it uncharted territory? Where can we be pioneers and explorers? I don't want to fall in line behind 17 other companies that have been around for decades. I want to, you know, I want to carry the torch forward. So, so where do we go that? We, well, you got to solve the ugly problems. You got to solve the problems that, you know, aren't very sexy and people don't really care about. And what we wanted to do was we tried to take, you know, we tried to take a bite into this elephant of this whole life personal assistant last year. And realized that the tech that we wanted to license and incorporate that would give you the ability to talk back and forth with this entity, right? To hold you accountable. We just did something as simple as reminding you to drink water multiple times through the day and checking in to see how you're doing. What we realized is the state of the art of chatbot technology has no idea what you actually say. There's no linguistic comprehension involved in it at all. And we couldn't understand why. I'm not a linguist, right? I like slept sixth to seventh grade grammar class. What we realized was missing one thing called context, which does not exist inside the message. 
and that these chatbots, even the very best of the best of them, essentially take it, they use a word embedder, they take a message, they incorporate each individual word to different matrices of numbers. This is AI 101. Linear algebra, yeah. Yeah, then they compare those matrices of numbers to the other matrices of numbers. And if there's similarity to a beyond a threshold, match it. Okay, Mm -hmm. but language is so much more complex than that. There's so many other things going on. So what my company does now is realize there's a massive opportunity to build this technology that can actually understand context in so many different dimensions, such that we can build practical business applications, right? Because you got to pay the bills and scale to grow in areas like lead qualification and customer service that the company can move the little levers and have it negotiate an objection handle the way it wants. It can change the information it wants to collect and they can train it like they would train an agent. And then that agent can pretend to be one or 10,000 people simultaneously and consistently convert leads and consistently get better as well. And then in customer service have to rely less on the human support and build the cluster issues. There's so many benefits for something like this where the state of the art in the industry is maybe you've seen this, you're talking with a chatbot and you're clicking different bubbles. And my core belief about human nature is that there is nothing more important to us than our ability to self, like our right to self-expression and our ability. When we feel constrained or we feel censored, that is where we draw the line and people get very frustrated. I have two questions here because you brought up a ton of interesting stuff. Two questions are, what dimensions of context do you consider? And then how do you collect those dimensions of context? Yeah, I will direct you towards, I'll, I'll send you the patent number when we file it. But if <laughs> okay. I, if I to give it in a vague away. sense, in a vague sense, or if you can't talk about it, you can't talk about it. But what's being said in this conversation right now that's not being said? So the, the room the I'm in. The fact that I want to ask a question. <laughs> the fact that Kyle wants to ask a question. The fact mm-hmm. that the visual elements, right? The location elements. I'm in Arizona. You're in Los Angeles. Kyle's in Alabama. And Kyle's not in Alabama. And True. the how hungry I am right now. How bad Kyle has to use the restroom. The fact mm-hmm. that, you know, my pants aren't comfortable or that Kyle has worked out. He's okay. I've said enough. He's fatigued from exercise. Got it. So all those things, right? Those all have an effect on this conversation. Absolutely. Would you agree? And so if you didn't just explicitly state them, can the smartest human being or even the entire intelligence of all of mankind, would they be able to determine those things to a high degree of accuracy? If we were just looking at the transcript. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right. So well, that's an, uns- yeah, 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 that, yeah, that's an unsolvable problem. And we probably don't need to know, like if you're doing customer service, they probably don't even know that your pants are uncomfortable. However, here's where that might come up right now. We're just building in a text right now. Someone's building voice technology. Reach out to me because voice technology today is terrible. It's, it does not really account for pacing or intonation or anything like that. It's a completely separate problem than text comprehension, but voice adds a couple more layers of dimensions. And what I mean by that is if you were to sound short on say a customer service call, the AI might be able to pick up with that. Be like, Hey, let's pause a second. Is everything all right? The sentiments analysis to like on steroids. And for him to, you know, say, well, I need to go to the bathroom. Can we put this conversation on pause for a minute? And then he'd be able to, yeah, no problem. But it would be able to pick that up 
And that's an example of dimensions in voice. Well, so we're not just building it message to message, but we're focused on building entire conversational architectures, we're calling them. Okay. To be able to give companies the ability to control what the bot says within a degree. So it still has improvised dialogue, but it's not going off the rails. Could you learn about someone by the speed in which they type? Is that like something along, maybe that's like, like going nowhere, but like some, like something along those lines, like this person is texting a million miles an hour. Does that tell you anything about them? Like a hundred instant responses versus like responses that take 20 to 30 seconds. That could tell you how engaged they are, you know, things uh, like that. Multitasking versus singular focus on the problem mm-hmm. at hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to ask you a big question. What do you want what you're building to impact in 20 years? Like what, what about the people or whose lives do you want to change? Cause you're, you're there's this mm-hmm. big thinking guy. I know that it's not just deal flow for real estate investors. Oh, totally. And, and that's one of the, the crippling parts of when you start a business from nothing is you have to sort of what you have limited time and you have limited resources. And again, you have to strip yourself of that level of entitlement. No one's coming and handing me money, mm-hmm. right? I got I to gotta fight for you it. To find your cash first. Absolutely. Until you get to that scale. But I've got a specific answer. And it's the same answer that we came to as like a, a purpose actually, you know, in, in the hot tub. And that's why, why we want to do that is think of the scientist in the world that's the closest to curing cancer, right? Let's call, let's just say it's a dude, could be a dude or a woman. Let's just call him John, right? John has devoted his life to his craft. And John, being a human being, also has his finances to deal with. He also has his health and fitness to deal with. He also has his relationships to deal with. And the interesting thing about all these different gardens is that if you let one of them slip, it will eventually anchor the rest of them down with you. So it's this delicate counterbalance and juggling of John's time, who again, all he wants to do is spend all his time focused on that stuff. And he finds it very frustrating that he has to split his time because what if the university doesn't pay him enough to just not have to deal with these problems, yada, 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 whatever. How we want to see this is I want to be able to see John be able to use our technology that can help him manage and not just make it okay, but have great gardens in his life where he has a fantastic relationship and he has fantastic finances and he does not have to manage and track nearly to the degree that he would today because he has his own life assistant and that frees up more of his time, mental energy, less stressing about those other things. And he can focus it on his craft, which is where technological and scientific innovation comes from. Can I ask, so is you made a term in the bigger pockets episode called creative freedom, which is kind of like the step beyond Mm -hmm. financial freedom where you've had enough money to solve all of your financial concerns so you can just focus on materializing your ideas into the world. So would it be fair to say that your goal is to create a tool that accelerates everyone's ability to reach creative freedom and in greater capacities? A hundred percent. I think that would create a world in which we have less macro problems because people are not projecting their own pains, their own stresses, their own worries into the world, but they are able to deal with them effectively and the other thing, again, we had this entire, this was why it was a 12-hour conversation, a bunch of realizations, is that we realized that human nature is reciprocal. Maybe you guys know someone who's a personal trainer now who used to be overweight. Can you think of someone like that? 
you know, they were super overweight and then they lost all the weight and they suddenly magically became a personal trainer. Well, they sure. didn't. They did it because they, oh. they appreciated the, the journey and they loved the ability to like what they found on the other side of that bridge and that journey. And they want to share that with other people. We are just building. Cause I mean, we're talking, we're talking therapy. We're talking coaching, right? We're not just talking material ways to get things in your life. We're talking again, financial and uh, emotional and mental and mental. When you get both of those things really, and you can say, okay, like, let's, you know, let's have a conversation. List me out all your problems. I solve all of them. What now? One of my favorite things on here is what would be here now if there wasn't a problem to solve? That's, that's a similar question to the, one of the ones from the Tim Ferriss book. If you had 10 million in the bank, which is kind of a metaphor for not having to worry about majority of the things you want to worry about, what would you be doing with your day? Would you just wake up and go for walks and play like volleyball and just cook and just exist? Totally. And to a higher degree, right? Because now Tim Ferriss has created a problem for you. Tim Ferriss says, I've solved all your other problems. And now your problem is, what are you going to do? That's a problem in and of itself, trying to figure out what to do. What if you took away that one as well? So how you help people based on what you know about them, cultivate high quality leisure. Mm, well, let me rephrase that. Tim Ferriss says you have $10 million and say, that's good for you. And say you personally, and you're like, okay, great. Now I have all this time. I don't want to die. Now I have <laughs> the problem or what we like to call it the puzzle of figuring out what I'm going to do now. Can you, like can that. you see that? Yes. What if I were to take that one away as well, wave a magic wand. And now you don't even have to figure out what you're going to do. You have no, no needs, no obligations. No one relies on you. And you don't have to figure out what you want to do. What do you I do? Don't, what even, what is that? So what state <laughs> a, is that? That's a good I, question. I'm honestly asking. And what's the purpose of being able to conduct independent thought in a world where something and like, do all that for you? With that thought process, then this conversation is in some ways a problem because me and Lewis were trying to facilitate a really good mm -hmm. conversation so that our audience likes it and so that you enjoy it and so that we're friends and like uh, so where even if even when it's something that me and lewis enjoy so much was just being able to talk to people like you and mm -hmm. every other person where we have these long-form conversations that we, we learn so much from like i have no idea what's outside of something that you enjoy that is also can be looked at as a problem Totally. So it's just like, you know, puzzle, puzzle, right? Cause it's not problem isn't necessarily bad. It's like things to do. What if you didn't have anything you needed to do or wanted to do? Well, do I mean, this? that's theoretically a problem for, or a puzzle for a ton of people right now. Well, okay. But that's kind, not take, that, take that puzzle away. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like, exactly. You know I mean? Like you can, you can abstract it to higher and higher yeah. levels, but, but what's I want to see where you're going highest? with Buddhism. I want to see where you're going with Buddhism. You're going Buddhist with that. monks spend their entire lives trying to ask the question, what would be here now if there wasn't a problem to solve? And they call it nirvana, where you, know, you, don't, you don't even have the desire for pleasure. It's like a completely transformed consciousness. And now, like for me, my brain keeps going, well, well, well what's the purpose? What's the, you know, how do you build? How do you do stuff? The thing is, human beings, we're always, we're trapped inside of this needing to do the next thing. And then, you know, it's never enough or, you know, you want to do this other thing or you have free time, but now you're bored. That's all just programming. What would truly be there if you took all that away? Like if, if just you were able to, I, I mean, Buddhists have tried to meditate to the point, but my, my only issue with that. I don't is, think it would be good. 
So what do you mean? How do you define good in that sense? I just think there's like, there's no fire there. There's no, there's no passion. There's no, I don't there's know. Nothing. And no, there's nothing. Yeah, but the, well, you know, there's, there's no, there's no anything. There's no reason. Well, no reason, nothing. There, there's like, you know, the two extremes. It's is the answer hedonism or is the answer suffering? I don't know if that made it's, any sense. There, it made sense. <laughs> okay. There's no, there's no answer to this. I think kind of what it comes up to is, is the individual, but I'm not, I don't just want to be a philosopher. I mean, it's fun, but I want to build an artificial intelligence that can understand and ask these questions and go beyond the traps that we have in our own mind, like reasoning, like passion, like purpose, like the different words that we've ascribed to it, transcend mm -hmm. our own language and potentially go out there, whatever, into the multiple dimensions of the universe that it can theorize that we physically can't. Like, can you visualize the fourth dimension? No. Fourth dimension's time, isn't it? Well, and it's, it's a non-spatial <laughs> dimension. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I just try and imagine what that's like, right? When you just get to completely transcend all the different worries of money. And like business is my least favorite part of it. Inventing and innovation, that's my most favorite part of it. Like sometimes I'll just walk down and like walk down the sidewalk. And like, what if this entire world just like split, but not like an earthquake? Like what if the fabric of the universe just like split in front of me? What would I see on the other side? Like that's, that's the fourth dimension. What, what if I were to like abstract another layer on top of that? And just some of these interesting things is just understanding the constraints of the human mind and why we got here is because of thousands, if not many more millions of years of evolution through different species. It really, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of arguments against evolution. A, a, lot, of, a lot of stuff is rooted in, in language. And language mm. is a phenomenon I believe we as human beings create and will also be our portal of understanding between ourselves and artificial intelligence. They will do their very best. And I say they, as in the AI, right? And that's sort of what we're building is we're building that bridge right now in the human computer communication to go and explore and to create simulations and to be able to put together different thoughts and queries and test those that we can't even comprehend. And then we will come back and we will get a small little droplet of that information of what's out there that I don't know if we will ever be able to get to ourselves. Because again, we have our own limits. It's like looking inside of a house with a very tiny window, like a people. You'll know, see a very tiny amount, but we have our own walls and our constraints, the revolution gearing us towards society. But in terms of neural augmentation and what Elon Musk is doing with brain-computer interfaces at Neuralink, that gives me hope that there will be a bridge for us to walk and see kind of what else is out there. But that's like the highest level of, of what you can go. And I'll, I'll tie this into space here. So one of the things is I used to think that everyone was uh, mortal. However, with the advancements here, and if you take on the idea that consciousness and who you are is just the patterns in which your neurons in your brain fire, and that's it, then if you can replicate those patterns into a, say, a, you know, whatever, the brain in the jar or silicon body, my, the way I want to go out, I'll go on record saying here, the way I want to go out is not being cremated or buried. The way I want to go out is be able to have myself plugged in to like, like a spaceship or like a, you know, a, a computer in a spaceship and just fly through the stars for a bajillion, gazillion years. That's, that's how I want to go. 
I'm not sure if I buy into the idea that what makes you you is just a pattern of neurons or that anybody will ever be able to figure out consciousness to a degree to where you, you could upload your yourself to something that isn't a human being, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, let me hear uh, your let me hear your argument. Let me hear your reasons. Yeah, there you go. That's that's one way to to get this going. I don't know. I just think that the human experience is a greater. It's like it's unexplainable. I. I Are you assigning there's get some ethereal? Yeah, there's like an there's, ethereal. Fourth, yeah. Like some sort of ethereal, unexplained magic piece or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it like again mm-hmm. demonstrating the limitations of language by my attempts to describe this right mm-hmm. uh just a word for something beyond our understanding there's just some element of that at play that until you can capture that somehow you're not going to be able to replicate the sensation of consciousness is that your argument kyle yes but i mean i can get religious with it but i don't need to you know totally so the couple different ways we can go either but my favorite one is a thought experiment right? Because mm-hmm. you said sensations and we, we usually think of like our thoughts and, you know, feelings. Oh, I see mm-hmm. them as two separate things. If I were to, Kyle, if I were to take away your sight, what would you have or what would you be? Good question. Your smell, your, your, your sound, your ears, a lot less. You'd be a lot less without your sight. It'd be your, your remaining perceptions of the outside world. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And so I, I take away those other four. What would your thoughts be after mm-hmm holy crap, he actually took away my other senses. What am I doing here? Why am I in the dark? Why can't I feel anything? After all that, what would your thoughts yeah, be? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. What, what Do you think they would be language? I don't know. I don't, that is a, is a scenario in which like you can't hear, you can't see, you can't mm-hmm. do, you can't do any of these things. Yeah. You can't talk. Okay. I, what, that's kind of like the question about what exists like outside of, of problem solving, you know, it's, it's well, nothing. Let's stay with me here. Yeah. I don't want to go, yeah. I don't want to go to, uh, to like orbit in low earth orbit yet with this. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> but the idea uh-huh. of it, right. is okay. You, you don't have senses. You can't interact with it world and just everything is blank, but say that happened now you would still have all your memories, right? Okay. But what if I took away your ability to form words what would your, how would you recall those memories? Symbolically? Yeah, like photos, or, well, or okay. I guess if you can so, think about it. Yeah, so like imagery and stuff as well. Great, but I t- they, that's all taken away because that's just, that's just the eyes and then the brain having a pattern. You know, th- there's so many different cool places, you know, to, to go with this different stuff. This is what fascinates mm-hmm. me. But you'd have probably feelings, right, about different memories, because, but you wouldn't be able to express them. Okay, what if I what if I took away your feelings? Well, then you're not human. <laughs> well, no, perfect. So, so, but we're just trying to drill down and figure out where consciousness. I know, I know, is. I know, I know, I know. I'm so, with you. So you don't have feelings. Okay, great. But what happened if all this happened before you were born, and you so you never had an ability to interact with this world we live in? So you don't have memories and you can't form thoughts. But you you have a body, you have a heartbeat, you're kept alive by people by by an IV. How are you even aware that you're alive? That would be the question, right? Is the self-awareness. A lot of people say consciousness. If you like Google consciousness, it's like awareness of oneself or something like that is the definition. But if what is awareness? If you can't form <laughs> consciousness. Words, <laughs> if you can't form words. Recursive definition 
Yeah, uh, if you can't form words and you can't interact to test hypotheses, but you're there living and breathing. So you're stripped from trial and error? You're stripped from trial and error? You're stri- you stripped the ability to, I mean, you said you can't form hypotheses. So how can you like, engage in the process of trial and error and advance like your comprehension of the world and reach like... Oh yeah, you can't. No, you don't have, you don't have any senses. You don't yeah. have the ability to think you don't have, I mean, in terms of words and you don't have the ability to, I mean, you might have like slight emotions, but you can't mm-hmm. do much with that. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now let's, let's go the other way. Right. So we pretty much you're lifeless. You're, you're just a, uh, you know, you're just a parasite to society. You're sucking up resources and not contributing anything back. Let's, let's go back. But now, okay, now you're back. Congratulations. You have all your senses back. And Oof. now, now we're going to build an AI going through that same way first. Right. Let's give it the ability to connect language with images and other language. Okay. Sort of what we're doing right now, right? So you can ask it a question, it can answer because it has a general understanding of how, think of what we do, we just connect different mm-hmm. words to different Yeah, it's, it has associative capacities. Okay, great. And now let's say we also give it a reward system, like what emotion is to us human beings. You know, my, my probably favorite person I've ever listened to, his name is Joshua Bach. I highly recommend listening to him on the Artificial Intelligence Podcast, three hours long. <laughs> incredible he says happiness is a cookie the brain cooks for itself or bakes for itself and so we have these reward systems right what are the things that make you feel good what are the things that make you feel bad see how they align with what is better for your survival at the end of the day right reproduction love sex everything like that those those things feel good because we're survival things like killing people or getting yourself hurt not good do you think that came to be magically Probably not just Mm -hmm. taking a gander, right? So you give it the ability to have language and you give it the ability to basically have a reward system of learning the right things, right? And you train Mm -hmm. it. Okay, right now we're looking at each other, but we're not really the computer's looking at us. So we can already see and we can already hear each other. So we are our two senses, put those into the brain on top of that language and on top of that reward system. Okay. Now let's also give it the ability to have thermal touch and understand the temperature of things and the hardness of things in terms of Silicon Valley. Like this is, this is not very difficult things to do one off. Okay. What taste? I mean, that's very, very simple to do. Those Mm -hmm. just chemicals. Again, anything can be trained. We were trained just over thousands of years on what tastes good. Salt tastes like salt. Sweet is good because it's whatever higher caloric. Do you think these, like people just think they showed up in this world, like they're the first human being to ever exist and that we're like a mortal, like we can never be duplicated. What's the last one? Um, hearing, touch, taste, seeing, is that all of them? Yeah. So uh, you have all, all those yeah. five senses, right? Yeah. The, the, all of the, yeah, external senses. Okay, cool. But are, I guess this goes back to the same question. Are there internal phenomenon that exist like independently of the external senses and or would be meaningful without the external senses. It all comes down to the reward system because the reward system, right? That's our limbic system Mm -hmm. in our brain basically gives us the ability to remember and our memories play. And okay. The last, the last piece you got to give the robot is a memory bank, be able to Mm -hmm. remember things so it can continue to optimize. Yes. And now let's say you give it a nice haircut and you cover it with human looking skin and it has a sense of warmth. Now, Kyle, let me ask you, and you talk to it and a hundred others like it and a hundred humans, and you can't tell the difference between either person. It passes the Turing test. Or... Is, oh, by, by far is mm-hmm. one of these, this is total ex machina, by the way, 
Mm-hmm. Kyle, which are, is the, is the, does the computer have consciousness now? How can we tell? The, I, I don't think, I, I don't know. I just, uh, so I, under it the, does. I mean, it, it ha- <laughs> you know, we, we stripped my, we stripped me of, of all of my senses. We, we made me a lifeless thing and then built me in, into that where I'm, I, you know, I, I have all those abilities Mm-hmm. again it's kind of like the same thing on both sides like when it's a lifeless thing is that life i don't know i don't think it is and is this robot life i don't know i don't think it is mm-hmm. well, so here's my question so if from my perspective this device is so well built that it's indistinguishable from other humans or from what i assume to be human right there's no if it's, does it matter, right? If it's, if I literally can't tell. That's like, another good question. Not, not does, yeah, it doesn't matter. But if I literally couldn't tell between you and Kyle, who was the well-designed robot and who was uh, organic mm-hmm. human being, that's a concern. And then not necessarily a problematic concern. And then also, if that's the case, how can I be sure, you know, that I'm not a robot? So there you go. Exactly. And sort of that's some like that, if you were to think of, in order to support the simulation agreement, right? I don't have any hard proof for you, but I also can't disprove it. Mm-hmm. So just think of it, like you put yourselves in the, like as the architect of a game, it all kind of, you know, the, the, the shoe fits. We have only a limited ways of interacting with the world. There physics. are ideas that mm-hmm. we, in our, in our senses, physics and senses, there are these clear limitations that we've set. A lot of it points towards, yeah. Intelligent this design. Is a, this is a simulation. So, mm-hmm. but to take it back to it, right? So we built Kyle back up. And so there's, there's Kyle and then there's AI Kyle, right? Mm-hmm. And he's, he's human. Now let's go superhuman. Here's an interesting thought, right? Let's say, you know how you have really great cameras that can see at like 120,000 frames per second and you have incredible like microphones that can pick up on sounds that we can't even. Let's give Kyle super sight, awesome. super hearing, <laughs> and also super processing. So that's that let's, muscles. Let's think, yeah, and some muscles. Yeah, the gyms, are, are they closed where you're at? Yeah. No, actually not. All right. Well, let's say we give you the ability. Let's say you think one thought per second now is your speed, right? Here's something kind of trippy. This, this I realized when I was playing 2 a.m., playing Monopoly at 2 a.m. like months ago, completely unrelated. This just came to me that if you were to speed up the ability in which you can process thoughts and you had the ability to control the degree at which you see things and hear things, would time would you be able to change how fast or slow time appears to move for you? If it's all relative to each other, there's no net change is my like default answer there. I'm not sure I understand. Could you try and say that another way? Sure. So if your perception of the world increased to 120,000 per second and yeah. your, and again, my reference of a second is only related to my reference of a second, how yeah. I have experienced a second if my processing speed of capturing images and sounds is improved by a hundred thousand and my ability to process those is matched, did anything change? Did anything change? I guess the difference would be if you knew what it was like before yeah, versus if you ha- after. Yes. Because however, 
then you could say two different people, right? Say they're like that from birth or whatever, mm -hmm. you have two robots. And then, you know, again, they have the ability to, to comprehend ideas and you let them both live for 10 years. However, then I guess it comes down to how long they think a year is, right? Because then you're saying essentially a year to the one person who is unaugmented would just be a year. But what we would call a year to the person who never knew anything besides the 100,000 X would also be a year. So yes. it is completely relative to it. So the way to slow down time in a world where time moves at the same pace for everyone else is to, again, my assumption, expand upon the capabilities. Now, we can't do that easily. You can do it very easily in machines. Just no one has put them all together because the component, which is the language and comprehension aspect of it, does not exist yet today. The brain, if you will. What do you do to relax when you want to not think about <laughs> any? Have you had enough? <laughs> Kyle, you had enough. I don't. I have not. That's not what I'm saying. You're you're thinking on a, on so many planes right now. Uh, yeah. All I'm asking. I, I saw a picture of a boat on your Instagram. Is that is that where you go to to get away from from these thoughts that haunt me at night? Uh -oh. <laughs> Kyle's not having it. <laughs> no, man. You know it's these. I'm I'm attracted to these questions and these ideas because mm -hmm. I was able to get. And through different personal development work, I've done a plug landmark forum that when life is empty and meaningless, you get to choose what meaning you want to fill it with anything. And what I want to do is I don't want to stay here. I don't want to stay at the what would be here if there wasn't a problem to solve. I don't want to be or even strive for that level. What I want is the one level below it, which is that what if all the other little problems didn't matter? what would be the one thing that I would want to focus on and make my life about? So this is like some of the most interesting, you know, conversation and thoughts that I can have. And, and what essentially you've just heard me essentially spew for the last, I don't know, like two hours is the culmination of many, 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 many deep conversations. And the only difference between me and anyone else who has came before me is that I'm actually planning to build a model of this in the real world. I'm actually planning to build things to test these hypotheses that I have. Otherwise they just exist in language and we just compare this language to other language and it's all just language. It's all made up. And it's all meaningless. But I think when you can actually build something and actually show, Hey, here's my, what might be possible then that's when things get very interesting to me and I can find purpose in these conversations because it's not just, Hey, you know, sit around, you know, chat with buddies and talk about the most insane crap you ever heard. It's let's try and attack this idea of intelligence and consciousness from all angles and see what we come up with because we can deconstruct it. Maybe we can reconstruct it. That makes a lot of sense. And then you're able to kind of iteratively, approach these conversations with the learnings of your experiments along the way. Exactly. And it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it sounds day, fun. You, you, you got a data scientist who can do all the actual stuff for you and you just have to feed him instructions. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I got, I got a full stack developer. My guy, my guys are great. My team is awesome. Full stack developer, software engineer, and then a PhD linguist. And she's great as well. I mean, it's just like, I got a team of people that can actually execute. I yeah. just get to sit around and think it's like the yeah. best gig ever. You know what I mean? But then I also have to deal with everything else that isn't exactly development of a product. And when you're, you know, especially it's, it's very difficult because think of it like, you know, in, in real estate or whatever, like we, I bootstrapped a good amount of money and then we've been raising uh, angel investing uh, from friends and family type people uh, up until, up until now. 
And in a couple months, we'll probably raise VC money once we show the product market fit, things like that. But not only are you saying, hey, look, I'm 21 and we're building this cool thing, but we have never sold a company before. Not only that, but we're pre-product. We don't actually have it built yet. Not only that, we haven't made any revenue from this thing yet, but also, hey, guess what? We're also doing something that no one else has been able to do. Hey, want to invest? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, Sold. these are some, to, to a lot of people, and I, you know, I'm just so grateful for people that, that bet on me and bet on us and the time that you know, we spend doing it. You can probably hear from this conversation that there is nothing else that I would rather do and that nothing else to me is, is worth doing because it would all just be a lower level of building something. One of the things I had thought this over this past weekend, that building AI, I think it's like my Instagram bio or whatever now, is like looking into a frosty and cracked mirror where you get slight glimpses of what you actually, like how you actually work and how your own mind operates, but you can never see the full picture at once, but you sort of have to, it's a shattered frosty mirror, it's blurry, and you have to put the pieces together, but you don't know in what order. So you just, you know, you go off of what you got and you just keep going. And that's exactly where the community is today. And I think it's probably one of the most exciting times to be alive for someone that has asked these questions around consciousness and around our existential nature. And how does this thing work? I can only look outside the house, but if I were to get a blueprint of the plans of the house, how is this thing actually built? and how neuroscience and artificial intelligence and everything is sort of weaving together. And even, you know, some aspects of religion and other theories, it's like, it's a beautiful thing that amidst every other problem going on in the world, if you just simply forget about them for a second, you think that there have been billions and billions of humans that have lived on this earth even before the current population, and that no one has been able to get as close to this as we can. It's super cool. I have another theory that in a couple decades, our idea around consciousness is going to be akin to our idea around germ theory before we figured it out. Microscopes were able to discover germs. I believe conversational artificial intelligence will be able to discover the inner workings of how we operate and therefore this idea of consciousness, how that's created via the combination wow. of the components we talked about. That's really interesting. That last like, comparison that you made was, was powerful between germ theory and, you know, the conversations being that tool and the artificial intelligence analyzing those conversations will be what changes and what, what shifts our minds from looking at these germs and not washing our hands to, to knowing more and more about ourselves and our consciousness. And, you know, I'll probably be proved wrong. Let me make an adjustment there because as I thought- It looks so sick if you're right about that. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> on the record, 20 years ago, here we go, Lewis and Kyle podcast, Zoom do, does the timestamp for me. Will's out to, here uh, I need to adjust it. It's going to be as obvious. Yeah. Not the, as obvious, but- The analogy is, I, don't think, I think conversational AI is going to be sort of like looking into the microscope, but the actual yeah. thing itself is- brain computer interfaces is the microscope that's allowing us to see into the brain, not at that cellular level, but at a, like an electromagnetic pattern level, which is how our neurons are firing and what those different patterns mean. We've mm -hmm. been able to see, I mean, glimpses with MRIs, but we see clouds light up. It's like trying to figure out like, or maybe it's even denser. If you were to try and figure out specific 
architecture of water molecules in a cloud by looking at them from the ground. Not going to happen. It's probably even more. You know, Neuralink is on the way to, uh, being, big, to building that microscope. Yeah. Big fan of Neuralink. Big fan of Elon Musk tackling the projects most people say are impossible and just, just tunneling right through them. Literally. Literally. The boring company. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's a he is a character, man. I don't. The history books will write about him and uh, akin to no. I don't think anybody like who else in history has tried to tackle the level of problems at scale like he's doing. Uh, like I don't know another person. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. So I got a couple questions here. We'll slap the bonus round label on it to kind of keep things kind of relatable. So I have one easy question uh, i don't know why i call it an easy question okay not an easy question it might be i have to find out when you answer it okay so your <laughs> kyle's looking at me giving me all sorts of looks so creative freedom that you've demonstrated here is incredibly inspiring and fulfill and the fulfillment that you are clearly communicating that you have in pursuing something you're so deeply passionate about and interested in is infectious and that's only possible because of the uh freedom you've created yourself through the wealth building projects you've put together the past couple of years. So if you had to reset, what lessons would you give someone at the very beginning on that path to wealth bidding? Would you choose the same route? Would you choose a different route? What would be your advice in 2020? I want to become financially independent so I can pr sit in an office in Los Angeles and solve the world's problems. Yeah. Man, what, a, what a great, what a great goal. Really what it comes down to is it's so tough because a lot of, you know, every other ad I see is stock market trading and drop shipping. And all I hear is we'll build the system for you and it's profitable and you don't have to, you don't have to do any work. And I've actually considered joking a couple of times. Like I have nothing to sell, right? I, and like, I don't have any programs. I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff, but creating an ad just to see the response of, so you're like, this is gonna be really hard. It's probably like the hardest thing you've ever done. And I'm not just saying this to sell you, like it's actually going to suck. And there's gonna be a lot of work and here's gonna be all the different stuff you have to do. And you're, you're probably not going to make money for a lot of months. Who would click on that YouTube ad? Who do you think would click on that? No one, right? However, that's because how we're trained is to go after the immediate results and we're looking for the passive ways to do a thing. First thing is just understand that passive income does not exist to any degree. Because if you're, it's totally passive, someone's, you know, someone doing you over and, and you're not managing it well enough because they've understood that you don't have it. So, the best advice I would give would be spend as much time thinking and listening to different types of podcasts to find things that are both interesting and that you think you might be good at and then find an opportunity in the marketplace and go out and learn what everyone else who's already successful has, whatever they have. For me in real estate, it was they had money, they had a network, they had teams, they had infrastructure and they had a track record, so people wanted to give them money. Now, you know what everyone else has, now look for what they don't have. Because if you can't meet them on those different levels, like I couldn't, but you can focus on the things that they don't have, now you have a shot at playing the game at a high level and growing quickly, rather than maybe following in their footsteps. Because if you can find the thing that's bottlenecking those guys, and that is their one biggest struggle, now, I don't care what industry it's in. For me, just in real estate, it was finding off-market deals. The interesting thing about a real estate deal is that you can't just pay more money to get a better deal. That's what a good deal is. You're buying it at a discount. Find things like that in other industries. Yeah, I think I should just listen to that on repeat until I'm success successfully apply it myself. 
That's uh, a real question to chew on. I mean, I think that's a pretty bulletproof framework uh, if you find that middle, middle answer and execute on it. So, I mean, the answers to these questions aren't complicated. The signing up for the online course that's, exclu- that's advertised as you won't make money for a long time. It's unclear. It's hard work. You don't know when it's going to pay off. That's just, that's where all the execution comes in. Yeah. I feel like if I actually ran it out, I'd be able to find some like hardcore entrepreneurs, people that have their mind right. And the other thing I'd say is it's like, you know, like I live, I live in LA and there's, there's, you know, a bunch of people focus on, focus on image and, and looking good. And really at the end of the day, it's just to cover, you know, insecurities. It feels like people are lacking things. You know what I mean? Okay, cool. You, you have the nice car because you want to drive fast cars, but why are there 75 pictures of it on your Instagram? You know what I mean? Like the, the mm-hmm. dots aren't connecting for me. So no, no hate to anyone out there doing it. It's just not a fulfilling path. And it's never, it's a, it's a goalpost that keeps moving and it's very difficult because then you have people that keep following the advice of those people and it's self-perpetuating. But at the end of the day, like I said, if you want to be happy and you want to do something, find things that make you happy and that you're good at. You have to be talented. Don't just do things because you, you know, you want to do them. Like if I were to go in there, if I wanted to become an artist, I'm terrible at art. I can barely read my own handwriting. That's not going to go very well for me at all. So you got to kind of be realistic yet unrealistic with yourself at the same time in terms of the goals, but realistic in terms of your strength. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably old enough now that you've had, you know, major life events happen in your early childhood that have shaped the way to be you to be the way you are and you model the world a certain way. Find find an avenue in which you can use that to your advantage because most of the time people put themselves in situations where the way that they model the world, think of it like, you know, introverts or computer programmers or people like that. They put themselves in situations because other people tell them to, where they're not going to an Excel. So trust the gut. And and the biggest thing is find someone who's doing what you want to do pay them like a hundred dollars, 150 bucks or whatever, sit down with them and just ask them what it's like. Most people will probably take your, you know, don't, don't ask them for money. Don't ask them for advice. Just say, Hey man, I see you've been doing this for a while. Like someone reached out to me. I just, I just want to know why you got into real estate. And, and if you could go back, would you do it again? Or would you do something else? You know, learning those things from people that have already done it makes it a lot easier. And for me, when I would, you know, I, there wasn't people that I had access to that had built and scaled successful tech companies. But when I read, you know, Steve Jobs' biography and, and other books, and I read books like Warren Buffett's biography and Benjamin Franklin, I learned the reasons why and some of those connected with me. And I was like, okay, cool. That's like I sat down with, for them for coffee for eight hours because they just poured everything. I think books are underrated to today's society. But those are those are like the, the, the tidbits of advice I give to anyone at any age. It's just usually following, you can see that right there, Following the crowd of, of sheeple just because you think they're going the right direction usually won't, won't do you very well. Sometimes you need to look above and see, all right, where do I actually want to go? That was a fantastic answer. I totally agree with that. I but just made speaking... a reminder for Kyle and I after this to spend some time chewing on that together. <laughs> <Do> <laughs> because yeah. I think that like, I mean, you're not, I just don't think you're wrong about that. You know what I mean? It's just take the time to replay this segment of the podcast, listen to that, think about your, do a very, very brutally honest strengths and weaknesses analysis. Think about, you know, the projects that you've done in the past in your life, the jobs you've had, the classes you've taken, the projects you've taken on, like what's come easy to you, what's been challenging to you, what people have complimented your natural abilities in, what you've had to work harder than everyone else at, what you've had to work less hard than everyone Mm -hmm. else at and had better results. 
document that, go through it, think about what you enjoy, where you're at and where that, where you fall into the market and then analyzing what are the people in this market lacking. And for you that you had a great answer, deal flow. Like these people don't have mm-hmm. deals, but for, you know, I'm thinking in, if you're a programmer, right. And you, that's your skill set, and that's what you enjoy. What's the bottleneck in that market? I don't know. Is it technical ability? Is it AI? Is it marketing? So it's just finding that bottleneck. So totally. I think that's, I mean, you know, go ahead. I just, I'm just saying like, I want to repeat that idea until I come up with an answer for myself, like an analysis of Mm -hmm. where to take that and what the takeaway is for me. So here's something that might put put you at ease and put people that listening at ease too, is you're not locking yourself into it, but I use that framework to figure out where I could be most effective in real estate. And what do you think that I did when I came to tech? I did the same exact thing. I you looked found at mentors. what does everyone else have? Exactly. I found mentors. I found people to tell me, all right, steer away from these potholes. And I looked at what everyone else had and what they didn't have. And I just, I'm building something for what they didn't have. Because obviously it's not a function of money, track record, connections. I mean, these tech companies are, are larger than empires. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then, so if obviously it was a function of just having more money, they would have already had it. So finding those opportunities, I just did the same thing. I didn't realize until a couple of weeks ago when someone pointed that out, they're like, Hey, Will, you kind of use that same methodology used to figure out how you were going to get into real estate, which again, as a 16 year old, when I first started educating myself, I felt so, you know, small and so insignificant and like, how am I ever going to break into this thing? And then I just looked at, okay, well, let me just play in the same game and the same arenas that where other people aren't playing. And I was able to find that to be super effective. I was able to deploy my talents and skill sets in the way. And I hired other people. And even in the real estate, I hired other people for the talent. So you don't have to be good at everything. And now I have 100% confidence that it's going to turn out the same way because it's a function of us and we've positioned ourselves well. And that's not a function of luck or some external event happening, but it's our own processes and ways of going about it. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're doing something to tie that in. You're one book that you have shown us that you've read and that you talked about before is zero to one where people are taking ideas and going from nothing and building something that's like a mini monopoly, something that didn't exist before they're creating a market. And that's kind of what you're talking about is, is capitalizing on what people don't have instead Mm -hmm. of just iterating again and again on some new idea to get money or some new like stock market course or, or whatever, you're going zero to one. And, and we know that that book had a big influence on you. And we wanted to ask you a question that was popularized in that book by Peter Thiel, which is what important truth do very few, very few people agree with you on? Probably, probably the majority of the content of this podcast to <laughs> start with would be my answer around, around consciousness and things like that. But, but also probably the idea that we create our own problems. When you take on the idea that you create every single problem in your life and that it's no one else's fault, it requires a level of responsibility to hold that and maintain that truth. And most people, how I have found, do not want to take responsibility. Why? I don't think they're bad people. I just don't think they're on paths that they care about or they're doing things that they think matter to them. And they're just simply sort of getting through the day, doing the bare minimum. This was me and, you know, a lot of experience in real estate. And that was one of the things that that frustrated me. And just on that, I just want to play this game called life with people that care. 
And when I played soccer when I was younger, I'd always be frustrated that my teammates wouldn't care if they showed up to practice late. They wouldn't care if they won or lost. It was just all a game to them. And I realized, okay, if I, were, I just didn't like soccer that much. If I did, I might have gone, you know, pros or ML, MLS or whatever. But when you get to the highest levels of play, caring and devotion is the bare minimum requirement. And so that's why, that's why a large part of I'm playing the game that I want to play is I just want to play this game called life with people that care about what they're doing. I really, I really like that. I think that puts into words something that I've kind of thought about as a filter for what people I want to keep around and what people I don't need to invest in as heavily in those relationships. And I think that's also mm-hmm. going to be a compounding effect for increasing your ability to make productive output in the world because you're going to surround yourself and build a network around people that are motivated and take ownership and have productive beliefs for making big things happen in the world. So I like that a lot. Yeah. That that's another great truth that very people agree on or they, yeah, I guess they don't agree. Otherwise they would do something with it that you become the average of the five people you most closely associate with Jim Rohn. No one's ever said better (laughs) words. Like it's good. Like that thing time and time and time again, I can look at someone and I can ask them who their five favorite and somehow always right in the middle right in the middle, the the almost perfect average when you average across all the different areas of every single life, which is why for me, I'm in, I'm in groups where the average age is like 45 because I just want to learn. I want the five people to be like up here and I'm like down here. So I at least, I at least get, you know, brought up just via osmosis and via questions and and just authentic and honest conversations. So a hundred percent believe that. And it has a compound effect I think too. I think the majority, the minority of people in this world really care about their life to the degree that we're talking about here. Most people, and here's the tricky thing, comfort is what we are wired for. I have to figure out a way to wire my brain for discomfort because I know if you're comfortable, you're not growing. And I know I want to grow. So that was very simple to me to say, okay, if I'm comfortable, if I feel like I've stagnated or the people around me aren't growing or taking on stuff or thinking at the same levels or trajectories I am, I, what am I doing? Like, and I've, I've had to cut some hard, you know, guys, you know, guys and girls. I just thought, you know, we're good people. This, this is not, they're good people. It's just, I knew that there would be a cost. There's a cost to everything. And I knew that there would be a cost if I kept them around and I don't really regret it because it's mutual and it's from their side. I can be super annoying sometimes too, because I have a hard time turning it off. Like imagine that you're like, what do you do to chill? And I'm, I'm always thinking of ideas and imagine playing <laughs> yeah, bullshit about AI is what yeah. you do to chill. You're playing, playing Monopoly with me at 2 a.m. And suddenly I'm like, dude, I think you could slow down time. And they're like, dude, what are you doing, man? We're playing Monopoly. <laughs> so, but I, at the end of the day, the definition of success to me is not wanting to trade places with any other human being on the earth. I really like that answer. I've never heard that before. And if you think about it deeply at any age, right? I could say, okay, well, you know, I, I want to be the president or I want to be, no, not really. Because I've got a lot of life I can live in between now and then. I don't want to lose that life. You know what I mean? And there, there's, there's few people younger than me. Cause you know what I mean? The teens, I, I, I try and surround myself with people around my age. It's difficult. You guys probably have seen that too. Most people just, you know, most people don't wake up until their thirties and that's just, that's just the way that is for them. But I just wouldn't want to trade every day. If I ever look at my life and say, I wish I could trade places with this person, then I have some serious introspection to do about the choices that I've made or I've been making. That's my barometer. There's, there's so many nuggets here. I'm going to have to re-listen to this one myself. Uh, (laughs) uh, And that's kind of what we told you before we started was uh, main 
driving point for this podcast is if Kyle and I came to Los Angeles and had this conversation with you and didn't have the opportunity to listen to it again, that would be upsetting because there's so much I want to unpack. And like, I'm not just going to sit there with a freaking notebook, you know, because then I'm not engaged with you either. Uh, Even though I've been taking notes this whole time, but digital doesn't matter. Uh, No, for sure. And I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to store this in the library of the internet. You know what I mean? Like I said, I came on here 20 years, 20 years from now, love to be able to see that how how i transform and when i point people you know if people are like well like what's your how do you model the world will i'll point them to this episode because it's not a one-liner it's not a sound bite right it's it's a lot of deep philosophical discussions that i'm looking to back with evidence and that's it so i'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity and for you, you guys curate a great conversation here in which uh, hopefully hopefully i've planted some questions in your minds and then uh, other people for, listening. for sure in terms of why am I why am I doing things the way I'm doing them? That's a core question too. And and what am I what am I doing this for? Right? Without going into the realms of religion, of this or that or this. Like if you just look at your life and the things that you want and you analyze why you want them and you're okay with the reasons why. Like for me, the core reason is a lot of curiosity. I feel like a pioneer. I feel like an explorer. I think that has an excitement to it. And that and that's there's not a lot else to it you know when you really dig down to the very bottom of it i know likely it's just patterns of my brain that i've been wired to to explore and to hunt and to forge and to create and innovate but none of that stuff is necessarily i don't want to go down a you know sitting around just thinking like oh why get stuck in loops i want to create and i want to explore and i want to innovate and i want to surround myself with people that do the same and to me that's a life well lived and i have nothing but gratitude I mean, for every single person I've spoken to, literally every single person, people I've learned things from and people I've learned things not to do from that have gotten me here at this point in my life because I'm so grateful that you guys do. All we have is time and anyone listening to this, I mean, if you're 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, even 60s or 70s, you know what I mean? Like the idea that time is scarce is, is very, very wrong to me. And that you can make a lot happen in a couple of years if you believe it's possible and you optimize for that like I did. I was just not going to sit around doing something for 10 years that I could do in two. It just didn't make sense to me. I have one last question I want to ask you that you kind of reminded me on that same note. So one way you really accelerated and shrunk that time down was just skipping, skipping college. And I just yeah. want to digest that decision a little bit, partly in light because of COVID and the fact that the college experience is not going to be what it was like in a lot of ways, but how did you drop out of college pre-revenue? Because for a lot of people, when they frame the decision to drop out of college and previous guests we've had on, it's they were already making more money than they hoped to make after school, therefore easy decision to make. But was that, were you already in that boat or no? I was in a transition period where okay. it was basically uh, the last the last month of school was May 2nd. So I finished that and I was building the business. So I, ha- I had the summer, you know what I mean? It wasn't like mid semester, I dropped out. I had dropped out mentally for sure, but I hadn't dropped out physically yet. So basically I can't remember if we closed our first deal or not, but I remember talking to like my, my team, I believe. And they were, they were in the Navy. I believe the first guys I started with, and I was telling them to drop out and they're like, well, Will, what are you doing about your school? And I realized I was still undecided at that point. Again, great question caused me to uh, come up with a great answer. And what I realized through a couple of different conversations with people, again, I sought mentorship with what we were doing and I had already made connections. I, was, I wasn't making any money yet, but I, was, I knew that there was a path to make money. I looked at it and I sat and I thought, well, 
I finished one year. I have three more years. I can either spend the next three years going back to school, you know, being mildly frustrated because I wish I was doing something else, or I can just go for it. And what could I do in three years? Where could I be? What trajectory could I be on if I just sat there and figured stuff out for three years in my own way, in my path, rather than doing things that they told me to do to then get planted somewhere. And so I've got another year left, June, 2021. Not only did I set that as like a intangible, where could I be? I said, I want to have a net worth of $10 million in three years, starting from going out of school to then. And what that caused me to do as I was scaling my business, if you extrapolate that out, it comes up to like $300,000 a month. I was making like 5,000 and like 15,000 and like 40. I was not going to get anywhere close. However, I kept that in the back of my mind. I have not given up on that goal. And I would say between the real estate that I own and the tech company that we're building now, even though I had no idea how specifically I was going to get there, because I have not given up on that goal, I am on track for that by June of next year, which is now, and it seems like, like I think much bigger, you know, I'm a couple, always think a couple months, a couple years in the future, something in bigger terms. And that actually feels small to me now because I focused on continuing to change the trajectory on who do I need to become to be there. Cause that was a great benchmark for me of, okay, I'm doing something, something right. You know, as long as it's moral and ethical and to make that money, you know, I don't, I could go become a drug dealer, not, not doing that. That wouldn't be very scalable in my opinion. That's not going to kind of get us to where we want to go here. But if I realized, okay, 10 million, three years, sounds like a good goal. And so I said, I said, just like the hundred thousand, right? Just like the hundred thousand, I set a goal that at the time I thought was unattainable, but I didn't give up on it. I see so many people set big goals and then just completely give up on them when the beauty is in the not giving up and just continue to think, how might I make this possible? I mean, I think that's a great I think that's a good place to end it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. I, you know, I have no attempt to summarize this conversation. Podcasts are an amazing medium where you can drag a magical slider and start at the beginning and go to the end. Mm -hmm. So that's my summary is there's a lot to unpack here. I think I personally, even being in real time, I'm going to have to re-listen to a couple pieces too. And by a couple pieces, I mean the whole thing. Yeah, me too. That's good. That's, That's a good sign from our perspective to make sure I'm internalizing and doing it all because... I mean, Kyle and I, I'd like to think we're bringing into action some of the principles you recommended. Like the whole reason we started this podcast was to increase our odds of finding high quality mentors and find the people living the kind of lives that we want to live and be able to get them to sit down with us and share their, their, their brains with us. And you, without a doubt, qualify as someone we obviously want to aspire to live like and model for some. So we just really, really are, have gratitude to you for coming on with us and sharing so many interesting ideas. Appreciate that, man. Would never have happened if you didn't reach out. People don't understand like how easy I am to reach. You know, it's like the, <laughs> I think it's the fear. It's like it's like not difficult at all. It's just I'm not gonna tell you how, but it's not difficult. So yeah, no shout out, shout out for, for making that ask. And anytime I, you know, and you he came up with like a summary to ability to talk about AI. Yeah, I'm not. I'm never gonna be able to turn that down. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal mics at conferences and trade shows and different things like that. Especially right, everyone, anyone can say, well, you're crazy. But as soon as we start kind of like, you know, like, like Elon Musk did with the electronic electric car industry, as soon as you start proving it, 
public sentiment changes and and you start to get a following of people behind you you know cheering for you rather than just calling you crazy but i'm okay just being called crazy for next next few years like i, I that motivates me that tells me you'll I'm be crazy right. until you're not exactly all right we're gonna wrap it up here thank you so so much for coming on with us absolutely and that wraps up our interview with William Brown. That that conversation really blew my mind from the beginning to the end. I mean, you know, we wanted to get him on to talk about real estate initially, but it was really interesting to hear him and how he transitioned out of that and into this new field where you can just, like, the passion oozes out of him with every word. I mean, that conversation was just crazy. What do you think, Liz? Yeah, Kyle, I really enjoyed listening to it again when I was taking the past couple hours to edit it today. Another parts I said during the conversation, I'm gonna have to go in and re-listen to this. And <laughs> I did. I'm glad I did, because I mean I made notes to myself to reflect on some of those questions, buy some of those books, re- on a recurring basis, continue asking myself some of those questions and revisiting some of those concepts. I think there's a lot, a lot of value packed into that roughly two hours of conversation, and I really hope you all enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it and want to support Kyle and I in this project, the Lewis and Kyle Show. There are a couple of ways you can do that. First of all, in terms of ranking on the charts on iTunes and platforms like that, the most helpful things are leaving reviews or subscribing. So if you haven't done that yet, please take a moment and do so. Otherwise, the best way for us to grow our audience is for you to refer a friend to the show. If there's an episode, maybe this one, maybe a different one that you really enjoyed and think they might enjoy, please send it their way. Let them know that, hey, I know these guys, Lewis and Kyle, they make this podcast, it's pretty cool and we'd really appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back in a week with the next one. Have a great day. See ya.